Hello, welcome to Risk Chats with the firm. I'm your host, Paul Marshall. Today, we're speaking with Lucy Mungle from the Department of Justice's Office of Justice Programs, and we'll talk about their ERM journey, how they started off primarily with grants and expanded it to all aspects of their organization. Hello, and welcome to the podcast. Happy today to have here with us Lucy Mungle back uh, back again. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing well. How about you? Very good. So uh, yeah, Lucy joined us on a AGA podcast, so now we brought her on to the Affirm podcast because uh, we want to talk about their ERM program over at Department of Justice Office of Justice Programs OJP. Yes. Yeah. So let's start off, Lucy. Won't you give us a little bit about um about your about yourself? What you do over there at OJP? Sure. Sure. I am a risk management analyst over at the Office of Justice Programs, and I am in the Office of Audit Assessment and Management, which is the oversight arm for OJP. Mm-hmm. And um, my background is actually audit and accounting. Um, I've got about 25 years experience in private sector and public sector. And uh, my role uh, over there is to manage their enterprise risk management program. And I'm also responsible for oversight of grants monitoring for OJP. Great. And that's a really huge thing there, right? The grants. Yeah. So at any point, one point in time, we have anywhere between 12 and $15 billion in open awards wow. and about, you know, five to 7,000 open awards. So it, it's a lot. And, and uh, we have a statutory requirement to monitor at least 10% of those. Right. Wow. Okay. Well, we'll definitely get into that. Um, now, why don't we start off a little bit about, you know, um, how you all decided to kind of start your own ERM program because I know DOJ has a program but you you're off you know you're OJP specifically kind of the history of that sure so way back in 2010 mm-hmm. uh, we actually had an audit an OIG audit mm-hmm. finding uh-huh. that we needed to do a we need to select our monitoring based on a risk assessment. Mm -hmm. And so in 2010, we developed our first risk assessment for our grants. And that was kind of sort of how it all got started. And it evolved from there. So we started, and this was post-award, we started doing um, a risk assessment on several criteria for each open award. And then we would score it, and then that would help us determine our monitoring plan for, for the fiscal year. Well, then we realized, well, we probably needed to look at the entity level. So then we started scoring at the grantee level, mm-hmm. and that gave us a good idea of which, which entities posed a greater risk. Because we, so we have some that have one award with us. It might be $50,000. Yeah. But we have others that have millions mm-hmm. and millions of multiple awards from multiple program offices. And so they're a higher risk if, if they're not managing those awards uh, properly. And then we realized... And again, this is over the course of years. Sure, of course. Then we realized, well, we have different programs, and those different programs pose different risks. Mm -hmm. So, like a new program is inherently riskier because we don't know how it's gonna gonna roll out. We don't know what's gonna happen. Mm -hmm. It's got new requirements, et cetera. And then we have other programs that just have a lot of money, Um, and so they're inherently higher risk. And and for example, the Crime Victims Fund, our appropriation from that increased significantly four or five years ago. And so that changed everything in how we, we were looking at those awards. Right. Okay. So just, I mean, the, the, the kind of work you all do is inherently, you know, there's a lot of money involved. It's a risky subject matter. So you have to kind of put more uh, rigor around this. Yeah. Just re- realize that. Yes. And I'm assuming as 
a firm and federal government started getting interested in this topic, you know, you all just kind of said, hey, you know, this is something we should we should do ourselves, and you started getting more guidance and things. Yeah, so it was interesting because um, the 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 person who actually stood up our our ERM, uh, who's now our chief risk officer, uh, we stood it up before it became a federal requirement. Oh wow! Okay. Yeah, so we we were very interested in what was going on in the private sector and enterprise risk management, and there have been time kind of some, you know, talk about enterprise risk management moving into the government sector, mm -hmm. but we knew that it had had a lot of success in the private sector, and we actually went down to uh, North Carolina for some, some training mm -hmm. on how to implement enterprise risk management. It was actually kind of funny because we were the only government, and we were from the Department of Justice sitting in the room, and as oh, wow. soon as we introduced ourselves, things got very quiet. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I used to, when I walk in a room and I used to be an auditor, same kind of thing. Yes, yeah, it's exactly the same thing, so it's kind of funny. But yeah, so we started up um, probably about a year and a half before the A123 requirement came out. Uh, and we, you know, our intent was to, we knew we had good risk assessment process in our grants risk, but we also knew that we had all these administrative activities that were around it, mm -hmm. things like procurement, human resources, um, IT, all that kind of stuff, and finance, that we needed to make sure it was all coming together in one big package. Right. So, yeah, and that's, that was something I want to get into a little bit later, but, you know, because you start, I think grants is your biggest focus to start, but you move beyond that and you're really looking at the enterprise and other activities. Yes. So, um, but let's go back. So let's talk about your chief risk officer. I thought that was an interesting uh, origin story too. How did you all decide who was going to be the CRO? So that was interesting uh, and it was it was a big discussion. Mm -hmm. And we we looked at it and it could have been several, several possibilities in, in the organization. If you look across the government, it falls so many different places um, in each organization. For us, the way our um, agency is organized is we are headed by a political appointee. Mm -hmm. And then underneath that political appointee, we have another political appointee who's responsible for policy and implementing the policy agenda. Mm -hmm. And then we have a career SES who's responsible for administration and, and management. And then the political appointee has all of the program office um, political appointees reporting to, to that position. And then the uh, Deputy Assistant AAG for Administration and Management has like the business offices reporting to it. Mm -hmm. So we, we knew we needed support from the top. You know, tone at the top is really mm -hmm. important and that support just really, it just flows to the organization. Mm -hmm. So we were originally, well, should it be the AAG, the Assistant Attorney General, the head of the agency? And we thought, well, that, that would be great. That would be wonderful, but it, it is a political um, position, right. and we realized that one on average political appointees turn over between eighteen months and, and every two years, and that's just a reality yeah. of of government. And then of course they they will almost all the time turn over every four years when the administration changes. And then there are risks associated with an administration change because mm -hmm. policy changes, the agenda changes, and you have to turn on a dime and implement that new policy and agenda, which means there's gonna be change and, and, and there are risks associated with all of that. There's changes in policies and procedures, et cetera. So we settled on, it was then gonna be between the Deputy AAG for Administration and Management or my boss, the director of the Office of Audit Assessment and Management. Mm -hmm. 
And we really wanted it as high as possible in the organization. So yeah. we settled on that deputy assistant attorney general for, and we felt it was best with a career position. Um, but what we did is we set the chief risk officer there, and then we have regular meetings with chief risk officer, but we also have the risk management council. And that risk management council includes the AAG and includes the principal deputy AAG, those political mm-hmm. uh, appointees. And that's how we kind of pull it all together. And it's, it, it works very well for us. Yeah, so, you know, and just give us a little bit about the fact that, you know, the, you have the CRO position where it is, how that has helped to kind of spread the, the word and the culture and, you know, any new initiatives that come up, you know, risk is thought about or in, included in the, in, the, in the process. You know, how has that helped? Well, it's, it's interesting because, you know, in that position, it's like all of our funding recommendations go through that role. All of the, the business act support activities go through that role. Mm-hmm. So any new IT systems, any procurements, all of that happens. And that, that's the, the engine right. that supports everything. And by having the chief risk officer there, so all these new initiatives that we do, like even if we have a new program, which is coming from the program side, you have to put in place the process to do that. And that's an administrative Mm -hmm. function. So having it in that role meant that every time we were doing something, she wanted to know what do we consider for the risk and the mitigation associated with it. Right. And so we put together like a multi-level education at her behest. So I would go to the senior leadership group and we would, we would do these sessions called risk mitigation in action. Mm-hmm. And, and our first approach was to tell everyone, hey, you're really doing this every day. We just haven't labeled it like this. Mm-hmm. So we would take situations where they had, we identified where they had put in place all sorts of risk mitigation activities, and we would, you know, do a presentation and say, well, in this program, here's what you did, and this is mitigating this risk, and this is mitigating this risk, and here's how you identified this. And we would show everyone how that was already happening because one of the biggest pushbacks that we thought we were going to get is, I can't do any more work. Right. This is, yeah, right. additional. And, and that's mm-hmm. a very real thing sure. um, because it's true. Everyone's stretched to, to the limit. And you also, you want to bring value to the table. And by reframing the way people were thinking about it, it really, it was interesting and fascinating to see it start kind of creep into the culture mm-hmm. and the vernacular mm-hmm. as we worked through it. And I would be in meetings with staff and they're like, well, you know, I was looking at this and there's a risk that this is going to happen and we're going to do this to, to make sure that we don't end up going down that path. So it really was that role, making sure that we were just really thinking about risk at every level yeah, and, and just making it part of the culture. Right. That sounds like a, I mean, that's just a huge success story. I mean, a lot of folks struggle with where to put the CRO or, you know, I mean, it just happens that, I mean, it's basically a dual hat sort of thing going on yes, here, right? But, yes. Or I'm sure this person has many hats. She but, does. Uh, <laughs> but it's a perfect positioning because, again, like you said, basically all these things have to go through her anyway. So she's going to ask the question about risk and, you know, kind of, and I like the way you kind of, uh, you know, help people realize they're already looking at this. This is not a new thing. You're just right. kind of explicitly ex- stating these are the mitigation activities. Yeah. And, yeah. We saw the same kind of progression when we started doing the grant risk thing back mm-hmm. years ago. People were were 
uh, we got pushback about it. You know, I don't want to do this. And now it's like, where are the risk scores? We need the risk scores to be able to do this because they realize it's a decision support tool. Right. right. And and some of it is is people look at risk and risk scoring and they're like, well, you know, I don't want you to, to take over my decision making. And we're like, we're not. Right. All this is giving you is a landscape view. And it supports your decision. In fact, one of the most important pieces that we try and get into our risk assessment is that qualitative assessment of what right. is going on. And, and that's a hard piece to get in, but it is really important. Yeah, well, I mean, I can imagine us handing out millions of dollars without some kind of assessment of a risk right. you know, a, a recipient. I mean, that's just, so that's good you guys do that. <laughs> so, well, let's talk a little bit about, um, you know, some of the, some just a little bit about the process of, you know, what, what, what are kind of some of the major roles and responsibilities for, for your ERM program and the council talk about that a little bit, how, how, how often you meet and what some official activities, how does it operate? So operationally, um, it's, it's interesting cause the, uh, the actual ERM team is pretty small. Okay. Yep. <laughs> so it's me and one other person right? Okay. <laughs> for the ERM team. And we have, um, contract support, mm-hmm. which is absolutely great and yep. fantastic. Um, but what it is, is I'm in part of the Office of Audit Assessment Management. And so we have the director and we have our little ERM team, but we have our audit review division, we have our program assessment division, and we have our grants management division. Mm-hmm. And our little risk management group kind of leverages those things. Okay. Mm-hmm. So for example, we take the information from the audit and review division as a feedback loop. Mm -hmm. So we see what's been going on, we take those findings, we compare those findings to our monitoring, and we adjust our risk assessments as as necessary. So that's kind of our feedback loop. And we also will then feed that back into our monitoring. So if we start Mm -hmm. seeing something going on, say we see a trend in some findings, then we'll say to our monitors, hey, you need to look at, say, subrecipient management. You need to look at that a little bit more closely. Um, and Or we'll then, when we look at the program level risk, we'll go to our program assessment division and we'll say, hey, so we see some of these programs that are a higher risk. Can you do an assessment on what's going on in those particular programs? Or we might take that program and we might work closely with the program office in uh, what we call um, risk assessment and management meetings mm-hmm. and those are periodic and we work very closely on the program and, and the individual grantees and how we're managing the the risk in, yeah. in those and then with our grants management division they have like all the policy and the procedures and document all of that stuff so we leverage that in order to kind of move everything the way we need to move it mm-hmm. and then our a123 group is also in our audit review division yeah. so again that's a feedback mechanism and we can also say hey we think we might have a higher risk over here so we think you need to look at these internal controls right so even though it's a little team of two <laughs> it really is a much bigger collaborative effort right and i think that's that's, cool. that's probably the story of erm though sure sure it's all about getting a collaborative effort going and and it's all about getting people to talk to you about what's going on in right. their programs and how they're managing it and are they thinking down the line absolutely yeah no, that's good i mean you had the right leadership, the culture, and now you have a, a good solid process where you can, you know, kind of 
pick and, and grab from things that you already have in, in, in place and feedback loops. It's, it's just a good, I mean, it's a good thing. You don't have to create this huge thing from scratch. Exactly. You know? and, and I think that was one of the things that, you know, as I go to a lot of the Affirm events and, mm -hmm. and everything, everyone struggles with, you know, oh, do we have to put this in place and that in place right. and this big infrastructure? And, and my suggestion would be to the extent that you can wiggle into what you already have in place, right. do it. Right. Because it's going to make your life a lot easier. For sure. And, and leverage what you have. It, and everybody's different. What's at, at OJP might not work at another agency. And right. it's probably not going to, even yeah. another grant agency. You have mm. to work within your own environment. And, and, you know, when I go, I do a lot of um, speaking at um, like our conferences for our grantees mm -hmm. and stuff. Mm -hmm. And a lot of it's on subrecipient risk assessment and, and management. And they're like, well, give us your risk assessment. And I'm like, well, but it's not gonna work for you. Because yeah. the most important thing is to assess that environment. Mm -hmm. And what's your environment and you build your risk assessment for your environment. And as that environment changes, you have to adjust. Right, right. No, that makes sense. Um, but I mean, it's still the spirit you know, the spirit or the approach could work for other agencies and other programs, but some of the specifics for sure. Exactly. That, and that's what it is. It's the spirit yeah. of the approach versus mm -hmm. the spe specifics. Yeah. And some people just, you know, and they're, they're so unsure. They want to like have like a checkbox. Mm -hmm. And so what I try and get them into a discussion level of what are you experiencing right. in, in your environment? And this is how we handled something that's similar. And they're like, oh, well, we have this limitation. Okay, so, but once you get them talking and they get to that comfort level, mm -hmm. that that's where I think the light goes on. Right. Um, so something I was also interested in is a little bit about your journey, kind of, you know, when you started ERM, what did you expect, but then what did it really turn into? Where did you go, you know, how did things evolve over time? Well, that's interesting because <laughs> we thought it was going to evolve into a more classic ERM environment mm -hmm. and, um, you know, with this big structure and everything around it. And it didn't do that. Mm. It, uh, it evolved because for us, the, the risks associated with grants are by far our biggest risk. So it's interesting as, you know, ERM stood up across the government. Of course, mm -hmm. it also stood up in, in the department, the mm -hmm. Department of Justice, and they developed their own ERM. And so we do a risk profile that we then send to the department. Mm -hmm. Um, well, what ends up going really is grant risk. So, sure. so we That's have the all thing. these little yeah. risks under that, right? You know, mm -hmm. we're at a much more granular level, but what we send to the department is grant risk. Right. <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> and, and so it's, it's really very funny as each layer that you look at it, it's, um, it's different. But for us, we thought it was going to be uh, a lot more formalized process. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's still not as formalized. It really kind of worked into what we already had going. And, and I thought we would end up with a little bit more formalized processes in our program offices, but we did not. Uh, but it works. That's the main thing. Yeah, it right. still works. It doesn't have to be this, you know, perfect, whatever, utopia ERM program. Right. You know, what actually works. That's what's important, right? And, and what we found is that what works is a lot of talking to people mm -hmm. and, and really getting in and trying to understand what they are facing mm -hmm. on a daily basis. Because it's easy to sit at your desk and look at a spreadsheet and push something out to somebody. 
But until you're sitting down and getting that feedback mm -hmm. from them, you know, well, I have this situation. What do you want me to do about it? It doesn't fit into your box. Right. And, and that's where we get the best um, interaction. So we've had, you know, we've had situations that we've really had to change course because, you know, we've, we're trying to take the time to talk to, to people and understand where, where they're coming from because it is unique. And that's right. where we've found that having these meetings and having these discussions, that's where the risk management is most effective. So, and kind of back from what I was going to mention earlier, um, again, about the evolution, y'all really just obviously started off really focusing on grants, but you have, this has become more of an enterprise wide view now, right? Yes. Yes. So okay. we, we focused on grants and we knew that we needed to get in place, um, some of the other things that are around that because they affect our grants management. Mm -hmm. So our procurements affect our grants management. If we can't procure the systems we need, et cetera, we're, we're going to fail. Um, our, our cybersecurity affects our grants management. Mm -hmm. And, and actually that cybersecurity risk extends out to our recipients because to the extent that we are funding, say, victims assistance, and they have uh, a cybersecurity issue where victims' names have been compromised, yeah. we have an issue. Right. So it's been interesting to wrap all of that around because you start thinking in different ways. Um, you know, we have finance risk. Um, for us, you know, just the the whole process of the financial statements and you know processing grant payments, et cetera, it, there's risks associated with that. And we had never mm -hmm. given that any thought. Yeah. Even, you know, we had a new program where we we got a new appropriations, brand spanking new program in FY18. And this particular group of potential recipients they weren't going to have enough time to put something together the way we needed to put to put together. Mm -hmm. So we did a two-stage uh, application process. Well, our system was not designed to do that. Hmm. Huge risk yeah. for us as we moved things in and out of the system and did what we call data change requests hmm. in order to get it where we needed to get it to go administratively through the system. Uh, so there's a lot of those types of things that as we bring those in, and see those risks, and even just reputational risk. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, you you get um, something where somebody does something, it hits the newspaper. It could be something minor, like a cup of coffee. <laughs> or, <laughs> sure. Or, or um, I think I. Uh, the muffin, yeah, we were we were muffin gate. Uh oh. Yeah. <laughs> so that's a huge reputational risk. And, and no matter what happens online, it's just where does it hit the headline? Right. And, and it could be a minor thing. But, you know, that one muffin thing created a huge process that now, however many years later, I think it's nine years later, everybody realizes that the costs are probably not worth the benefits mm. in that process because it was a huge government-wide knee-jerk reaction. Yeah. And while, yes, it's very important to control those costs, mm -hmm. um, it, the process itself that got put in was, was very costly. Right, right. Well, no, and I like the way you describe it because, I mean, it sounds like your ERM program is, you know, has kind of met exactly what the purpose of these things are. So you look at what's your primary, what's your biggest 
you know, goals of your mission. Okay, well, you start with that. Grants. Okay, now what's the risk of awarding to these folks or whoever? Okay, but then, oh, but how do I get those out? How do the applications come in? Well, that system has some issues. Or, you know, what about the information about these folks? Well, it might get leaked out through a cyber attack. I mean, I just love how it, all these things kind of start to pop up now that you're really looking at the enterprise view. Yeah, yeah. And, and even like we, we even like brought it back into our program planning mm -hmm. because we get the appropriations, but when you plan your programs, you have to make sure that you're planning them to achieve your intended goals and objectives. Mm -hmm. And if you don't put into place the right grants and programs and make sure that, you know, because we might get, um, say, a hundred million dollar appropriation, right? Mm -hmm. And we're supposed to achieve X, Y, and Z. Mm -hmm. Well, that hundred million dollars is probably going to go to, you know, maybe 800 recipients-ish. Uh, but you have to make sure that as you distribute that money amongst the 800 recipients, that you're checking off everything you need to because some of them are only going to do X. Right. Some are only going to do Y and some are only going to do Z. But if you only award for Y and Z and you skip X, your whole program fails. Right. Hmm. So it's all of that kind of planning and, and it's been really interesting to work with our performance people, work with our uh, strategic planning people and, and be there right at the very beginning and to see it roll all the way through and then to yeah. take, then to take the, the results and then feed it right back into that loop. Yeah. That's great. So, um, one kind of tangent here, but uh, I was curious about you know fraud and how you guys start tackling that. Obviously, that's a, something we're talking a lot, a lot about these days. Uh, some of the fraud acts and things out there. How is a uh, kind of fraud come into play with your ERM program? Well, it's interesting uh, that you say that because obviously our our risk assessment grew out of our grant risk assessment, which was post award. Mm -hmm. We didn't incorporate pre award risk assessment until two thousand fourteen. Um, but post-award, what a lot of the criteria that we are using in that risk assessment are criteria that might indicate a risk of fraud. Mm -hmm. For example, we look for excess cash, which is, has the grantee drawn more funds than they have reported as expenditures? Mm -hmm. And if they have, there's the possibility that their internal controls are not where they need to be, which if their internal controls are not where they need to be, then the risk of fraud goes up. Mm -hmm. And the same with, we take a look at um, their expenditures to date and what they have put in their progress report, what they've written in their progress report. It should make sense together. Right. Right? If it doesn't, then that risk of fraud goes up. And even things like, are they filing their progress reports on a timely basis? Are they filing their federal financial reports on a timely basis? If they are not, their internal controls might not be where they need to be in their management controls, which could indicate that the risk of fraud is higher. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying that fraud exists. Right. It's, it's the risk of fraud that, that we're dealing with. Now, we've always had these kind of indicators going on in, yeah. in our risk assessments, but we've never articulated them as addressing the risk of fraud. 
And that's what we're working on now, is specifically saying, this is how OJP is addressing the risk of fraud in our grant environment, and also in, in, in the wider enterprise risk management, because you have the risk of fraud within the agency also. Right. You know, so we have ethics trainings, and we have all sorts of you know, internal controls that address that, that risk. But we've never actually kind of articulated, this is specifically how we're addressing the risk of fraud. We've been doing it, mm-hmm. but we've never laid it down on a piece of paper and said, you know, the risk of fraud is this, and this is how we're addressing it. Right. So that's, that's something that we are working on right now and is kind of maturing at, at this point in time. Okay, very good. Well, uh, we're getting near the end here. I think I wanted to, my last question for you was going to be about, you know, kind of what's next or what would you like to see in the future for your program to keep evolving and moving forward? So I'm actually really excited about what's next. Um, OJP is, uh, we're putting into place a new uh, grant management system. Mm-hmm and a new financial management system. And uh, so that is going to position us and give us an environment where we can take advantage of some of the better technology that's out there now. Mm -hmm. Uh, Artificial intelligence, bots, um, more and better data analytics. So we're really excited about that. And um, I think it's going to just create an environment that, one, is going to help reduce the burden on the, the grant recipients, mm-hmm. but also give us better information. Right. Uh, so really excited about that. And there's also some government-wide efforts that are going on uh, related to that. And then from, uh, so our, our grant risk management process, I think, is fairly mature. But I want to see it go to that next level with the AI and, and the bots. There's a lot of data out there that, that data analytics can do wonders on. Mm-hmm. Uh, for the other enterprise risk management, the, the pieces that wrap around that, the procurement, the HR, and all that kind of stuff, I want to try and mature that up to the same maturation level mm-hmm. as our grants risk. And so I'd, I'd like to see that get a little bit more integrated in, into that process and be a little bit more formalized. and and um, get it to the point where it's, you know, I can go and just have a nice little risk profile that has yeah. all of those things in it <laughs> and at a touch of a button. But, you know, it's always time. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, it just sounds like in general, folks are starting to take advantage of these analytics and, and more advanced, you know, uh, dashboards, visualizations, bots, even things to help make things easier, but just kind of bring things in a more analytical age so you can use that data for even, like you said, more in-depth risk assessments as well, right? Yeah, so. and, and I think there's some exciting stuff going on at the government-wide level as well that, that's looking at that. Yeah. And and I think the next five, ten years, and uh, you're going to see a big change in, in federal government in terms of where they are from an information system perspective. Right. Well, Lucy, thanks so much for coming out. We really uh, enjoyed it today. I appreciate you coming on and talking about your program. Thank you for having me. Thanks for joining us. Want to see more of our podcasts? Check us out on firm.org. Trying to get these out every week or two. A lot of good topics, so never run out of them. And of course, as always, if you have ideas, please let us know. And we'll soon be going to the holidays here, so we hope you have a Happy New Year, happy holidays, and we'll try to get one or more of these in there before then. But until next time, this is Paul Marshall signing off for Risk Chats with a Firm.